that uh, you're here tonight to study another portion of God's Word. Let's go together, please, to, to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful, Father, to you for blessing us with another day, and for keeping us safe and keeping us strong, for watching over us, for guiding us and protecting us, and bringing us to this hour in which we can look into your Word and grow. Pray, Lord God, that as we look into your word, you will open up our, our minds to, to see, our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our minds, Lord God, that we might understand. We ask, Lord God, that you'll bless us with the knowledge that we receive from tonight and the words that we've received earlier today and throughout this week, and it will help us to grow spiritually in our walk of faith. Thank you for all that you've done and for all that you do. Thank you for your great son. It's in his name we pray and thank David be that will. Amen. Luke chapter 2, um, again, we are, we're kind of finishing this up. This is just giving you a, um, uh, like an overview or, or a, um, a short glimpse of one of the things that we do in looking at how to study God's Word. And I also mentioned last week that this is kind of one of the ways that you take a passage and you get a bunch of ideas together uh, for a lectureship. You know, you want to give... Ten preachers, um, ten different assignments from a few verses. This, this is one of the ways that you would do that. So we're looking now at verses 3 through 5 because we want to ask the question, where, where is everyone going, right? Where is everyone going in this passage? When I say everyone, remember, we're only thinking about Jesus, right? I mean, that's all that's, he's what's important. The rest, the rest of the people are just, you know, moving in an action. Verse 3. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house of the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and with child. So everyone was going to their city. Jesus was going to Bethlehem of Judea from Nazareth. We'll look back at that idea in a moment. Um, it happened. Everything, all this culminates, if you will, in Judea, right? In Bethlehem of Judea. It's really important. We look at verses 1 and 2, and we see this happen while, while Quirinius is governor of Syria. Verse 1 and 2. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So we, we do this inference now. It was the first census taken, which we can infer there was what? Another census or more at some point or another taken. But we're only talking about or keying in on the first census taken while Quirinius was uh, the governor of Syria. The next thought, uh, in, and by the way, um, we, we have a definite month. We have a definite uh, emperor, we have a, a definite uh, time, which is important that this decree is ordered. And it, it went out in verse 1. Now it came about in those days that uh, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus uh, that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. So it went out by decree. So everyone had to follow the law, right? The decree. Everyone had to. So this is a worldwide in its day, right? The world of its time decree. You want to study about Jesus again. When someone says, well, Jesus Christ, 
you know, you can't prove he existed. Well, just, just go to the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus, his era in time when Quirinius was the governor, and you will find Jesus Christ, right? You can't get around it. There's just, there's just no way to get around it. Um, so we use this, this um, again, a necessary inference, because here's the question. What made Caesar Augustus decide, let's have a census, right? What, how did that get into his mind? Now, there's two ways to look at this. We'll look at this from a, from a secular perspective first, and then we'll look at it from a spiritual perspective or idea. What, what put this thought into his mind? Well, you know the answer is money, right? It was taxes. They were trying to figure out the, the tax you know, I guess, um, uh, idea from a worldly perspective, but what really put it into his mind? Or who? God, right? God put into Caesar Augustus' mind to have a census taken at this particular moment, at this particular day, at this particular hour. I'm going to grab a verse here in just a moment. So, is is all of this is all of this a coincidence or is it by divine providence now we would say well providence is a is in, in today's world we can see providence from the old testament into the new testament and we can prove that right we can you, you see it clearly providence today is one of those provable non-provable ideas in other words it's hard to say you know i know for a fact this is where god wants me well, God didn't say to me, Tony Cloud, be right here. But based on all the evidence, I can, I can infer that this is where God wanted me. Or that God says, okay, here's one of the places you can be. You could say, this is, I know for a fact that God wanted me to, to marry this person. And here are the reasons why. And so we can use uh, providence or God's divine intervention uh, in one way or another by, by, you know, by way of uh, taking all the evidence, compiling all the evidence together and saying, this must be the right answer. But sometimes it's wrong, right? Sometimes people say, well, I know this is what God wants from me, and here are the reasons why, and it may be completely wrong. So it's a provable, non-provable thing. But from Old Testament to New Testament, or biblical providence in the sense of reading it in the Scriptures, uh, it's, it's, it's right here and it's evident before us. So Mary's in her, I mean, I don't know the month. The Bible doesn't really tell us if, if the, they began their journey in the eighth month or the ninth month, but she is ready to give birth to uh, a child, to a son, and they have to travel from Nazareth down to Judea, uh, Bethlehem of Judea. So you start thinking about that, and you start remembering Bethlehem of Judea, we know that's the birthplace by way of prophecy of Jesus Christ. So here was the question. The question is, um, the days of Quirinius, when he is the governor, and Caesar Augustus uh, is the emperor, and they decide to have the census, and when the decision is made, Jesus is in his mother's womb, and she and Joseph live in Nazareth. The Bible says no good thing comes out of Nazareth. But how are you going to get Joseph and Mary to come 70 miles south in her eighth or ninth month of pregnancy? Right? Anything can wait, right? He said, well, we can wait, and, you know, the baby's going to come soon. We'll go down afterwards. But see, God's providence, God's providence is what caused 
Caesar Augustus to make this decision. So let's let's look at a few scriptures to kind of um, uh, recognize that God is doing things at the right time in the right place. Let's start in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. So in Daniel, there's the, the prophetic message that you're going to have all these kingdoms, and these kingdoms are, are going to be in succession. You have the, the, the Babylonian Empire, then you have the Medo-Persian Empire, then you have the Greek Empire, and then you have the Roman Empire. The prophecy tells us that it's during the Roman Empire that Jesus Christ will be born. Okay? That Jesus Christ would establish his kingdom. Uh, Daniel 2, I want to begin at verse 40. Then it will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things. So, like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. And in that you saw the feet, the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. It will be divided king, a, a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay. They will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. And so we're in the days of the Roman Empire. And so you go back and finish reading Daniel and the other passages that tell us that the Roman Empire would be the fourth kingdom. But there's one more kingdom. And that kingdom would, would arise out of or during the era of the Roman Empire. And that would be the church itself, the church of Christ, right? And here it is to this day. Now Romans chapter 5 makes a very interesting statement about Jesus Christ and his birth and his establishment of the Lord's church. Uh, Romans 5, I want to look at verse uh, 6. It declares uh, that we, we were in a, the, the world was in a state of, of helplessness. It had been in this state from the days of sin, right? From Adam up until this day. And verse 6 says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't just die randomly. He didn't just come randomly. He came at the right time. There was a specific time that Jesus Christ was going to come and die and establish the church. That time is during the Roman era. So Jesus was born in the days of the Roman era by way of prophecy. And so at this time, a, a census has gone out by Caesar Augustus. Verse uh, 7 says, For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps the good man, some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, we're at the right time, a God-filled time. So go back to Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Luke chapter 2. Now, Luke 2 gives us uh, an indication of a, a certain law that was to be followed. Remember, um, Joseph and Mary are in Nazareth, 70 miles north of Bethlehem of Judea. And it says in this text, verse 1 and verse 2, Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken over all the inhabited earth. And this was uh, the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, that's important because the text is telling us, okay, here's this census that has gone out. This is not on the screen, but I want, I want to read verse 3 and 4. 
And all were proceeded to register for the census, everyone to his own city. Now, if you stop reading there, you'll miss the important point. The important point is in verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him with child. So here you have this situation. All right, so go, turn to Micah, um, Micah chapter 5. Uh, so you have this situation that, that Joseph is in the wrong place. So God has to get him in the right place at the right time. And Mary. And he does that. The prophecy says, Micah 5 and verse 2, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. And so they wrestled with the fact that Jesus Christ was born mom and dad living in Nazareth but they missed the point that God brought him down during this worldwide census and he was born in a smelly manger because there was no room for him in the inn in Bethlehem of Judea the prophecy was fulfilled so it wasn't coincidence it was God's providential care for a lost and dying world now as we think about uh, studying we would ask there are other questions that we can ask in our our studies, um, we say, okay, are there any commands? So, obviously, there are commands for them. Are there any commandments in that text for me? Right? We would ask um, a second question, are there any contrasts? You know, when you look at the passage of Scripture, and is there, is there something that's, that's important? Well, there's, you know, the contrast of the law, and we could look at that. Are, are there things, when you're studying the Scripture, you read um, a passage, and you find that the same passage repeats itself? Right? And you go, wow, is there, is there something in there that is a, a repetition? Is there something in the verse that's repeated? If something, if it states it twice, you know, that's an indicator. You need to go back and reread that. There's something about that that God wants us to know. Sometimes there, there are passages in the Bible where you have uh, duplicates, you know, a psalm and, and, a, and maybe in the book of Samuel or somewhere else where it's a duplicate passage. That really is an important passage. You have to go back and read that and maybe commit that one uh, to memory. Uh, is there some kind of a problem that needs to be solved? So all these questions you can get a preacher and say, Preacher, was there a problem to be solved? Yeah, the problem was, you know, Joseph and Mary are up in, in Nazareth. we got to get them down to Bethlehem of Judea. You know, we, wait, wait, the other, how are we going to do that? You know, and then you go through a census and the preacher would exegete the idea uh, that you give to them. Are there any promises? A prophecy. Um, are there any connections to other parts of the Bible? And then, uh, if you would notice when you're reading the passage, allow the pas- passage to come alive, right? So, so you start reading and it says that uh, the days of Caesar Augustus, and so you can see the Romans, right? And Quirinius is governor, and, and he puts this law out, and so now you have all these centurions and soldiers carrying this this scroll, this edict, if you will, and they're posting it, and they're yelling, and they're, they're through their, um, I guess they would be on their horses, and, and they're saying that Caesar Augustus uh, ordered a decree to the, all of 
all the inhabited earth to to register for the census, and he's you know, and they're making this known to everyone, and this and their carriers going around carrying this message uh, to the whole world, and, and and Joseph gets the message, and Mary gets the message, and they begin to think, oh, but I'm in my, and you can see the picture, you can see it, right? I'm in my eighth month of pregnancy, and what are we going to do? And so the maybe the stress, the trauma in uh, Mary's heart or in her mind, like what am I going to do? I can't travel and get a donkey, and they maybe they bring her on. I mean, it doesn't say that but you know maybe they bring her in a, a horse in a carriage or a donkey or something and bring her all the way south they weren't rich so they had to find a way to get a donkey if they didn't already have one and then they had to go 70 miles how many days would that take on foot and, and with the donkey right uh, did they both have donkeys did one walk and one we don't know but you can see the image god wants us to put ourselves in the account so we can see uh what exactly is going on so notice the setting that surrounds itself around the passage that God is giving to us. And you see them uh, registering for the Roman census and standing in line and all the things that go. And then all of a sudden, Mary, that, that uh, sometime during this, this, this account, Mary gives birth to her son, Jesus Christ. And what a, what a blessing, right? What a blessing. It all works out. You can get some, some uh, perspective of life, you know. You think about, it all worked out. Right? I mean, if you think about it, if we were uh, in that situation, we may wonder, how is this going to work out? And then when it's all over, it all works out. Everything works together for the good for those who uh, love God according to His will, right? It's always according to God's purpose and according to God's will. It all worked out. And it worked out beautifully. Okay, so let's look at a, a, a summary idea. Let's go to um, Isaiah 34. When you're reading the Bible... Um, you, you know, start out just kind of skimming it. If you've never read the whole Bible, read through it, skim it, you know, just read, just, you know, read it carefully. Something's going to catch your attention, stop, you know, grab that a little bit. Don't worry about digging yet. Not, not yet. If you're going to read the whole Bible through, don't start digging. Just, just read and take notes, right? Something's going to stand out as you're reading. Something's going to say, hey, ooh, ooh, that's important. Write that verse down. Write down what you thought was important about that verse. But don't start digging yet. You got, I want, you got to get the whole picture, right? Get the big picture first. And, and then, you know, there's a question that you're going to ask yourself all the time. What does the passage say? Not what does it mean yet. We don't want what it means yet. We just want to know what it says. Right? Because if you look at what it means, then you have sometimes a preconceived idea that, oh, I know this passage means this because someone told me. No, let's let God tell us what it means, right? Let's read it and then, and let it just, let God first tell us what He has to say. Like when you're in the middle of an argument and you say, you're not listening to me. I'm, this is, that's not what I said, right? Because sometimes we hear what we want to hear instead of hearing what, what maybe the other person is saying. So let God tell us what He wants us to know and, and then grow in your study. Now, you may start off in Genesis, or you may want to go to John. I mean, it's your choice. You, can, you don't have to go from Genesis to Revelation. You can just, just do what, what fits best into your walk of life. But you see what I'm trying to say is you've got to read the book, right? Read, 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 read. You've got to read the book. So as you're reading the book and you're trying to understand it, maybe you do a one-year reading plan. I don't know. Just read the book. And then, when you first go, maybe, or your second... It's up to you, depending on where you are on your knowledge of the Scripture. I don't mean knowledge of the Scripture, meaning, oh, I know my Bible. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying your knowledge of the whole Bible, holistically put together, 
Maybe it's on your first, maybe it's on your second. But look for the mate. Think about the mate. When you read it, you've got to read it first to know what's in it. Right? So if I'm in, in Genesis 1 and I read Genesis 1, I'm not going to get John 1 until I get to John 1. Right? And then I'll get John 1. So I, I don't, don't start putting things together yet. Let God open it up to you. It's amazing. You'll start reading and you'll, you'll read Genesis 1 and you'll get to 2 and 3. And you go, oh, I remember something somewhere over in the New Testament about that. That sounds similar. Write it down. We're not digging yet. Just write it down. We're going to come back to it. We'll get to digging later. Okay. Um, Isaiah 34 and verse 16. Seek from the book of the Lord and read. Now one of these will be missing. None will lack its mate. For his mouth has commanded and his spirit has gathered them. So the reason we want the mate is because of this. God will interpret his own passages. I don't need anybody to interpret it for me. It's there. The mate is there. I, I, I believe, and I love this, I challenge anyone. Um, maybe I'm not opening this up to you right now, but if you would like, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, send, me a, send me a topic. Uh, I'll show you it from Genesis to Revelation. I'll show it to you in principle. I can't show you, you know, give me a little time, but I'll show it to you. It's in there. It's in there, right? Nothing's missing. Second uh, Peter 1 would be that, um, a mate to that, uh, verse 3. God has given to us everything uh, pertaining to his divine nature. Everything regarding the godliness and and the spirit right the spirit and the flesh everything's in here nothing's missing how many of us believe that by faith right eventually is no longer faith it's in there you know it's it's in there all right so earlier i said read it maybe you could skim it uh, meaning you're reading it you're not necessarily trying to get a depth of understanding you're reading it maybe like a novel uh later you're going to read it like it's dynamite or nitroglycerin and be very careful with it but in the beginning you're going to read it just to try to get a a, a good uh, understanding of what was being said maybe a preview and then when you go back and read it the second time read it slowly first time just read through it second time read it slowly okay here's what you're looking for when you're you're looking for an overview you want an overview what is the what is the big picture. And I'm going to come back to this big picture in a moment. But what is the big picture? What's going on? What's going on, right? People that argue the Bible isn't true in probably every case, or I don't even want to give a percentage because I don't know. They haven't read the whole thing through. They just pick and choose, you know, right? So if you read the whole, well, I don't believe in the Bible. Have you read it? Well, yeah, I've read some. No, have you read the whole book? You know, from Genesis to Revelation? Well, no. Well, then how can you say it's not true? You, you need to be there before you can tell me it's not true, right? So now before you can say that, though, guess what you have to have done? You, you have to read it through from Genesis to uh, Revelation. So, and then we're going to study book by book, right? Book by book. What does God mean for us to know in this specific book? When he wrote the book to, to Timothy, or he, he wrote the book by Jeremiah, by uh, dictating uh, by Barak, and Barak was writing, what was... What was he saying to those, to those Jews at that time? What, what the inhabitant, those who received the word, what was God saying to them? Let's get the message in Jeremiah first. And then we'll get the other prophets that go along with it to add to our understanding of the scriptures. So, so when you, when you look at the plan of salvation, I'll give you an example. Um, so this is a topical idea, the plan of salvation. 
Although it's riddled through the Scriptures, you found the plan of salvation from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Um, obviously, baptism baptism is in the Old Testament, but the, the commandment to be baptized is only in the New Testament, right? But no matter how you look at the plan of salvation, you first got to hear it. Well, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the... Now you got to decide what to do with that. Did God create the heavens and the earth? Well, now you got to either believe it or not. And if you believe it, now you got to make a decision on what you're going to do with that. Are you going to turn your life to live according to Jesus Christ, or are you going to live the way you want to live? It's called repentance. You know, I've been living the way I want, and but now I'm going to change my life and transform it to the, the, the lifestyle that Jesus commands for me to live. And then you make a confession. Well, in the New Testament, you confess Jesus' name, and he was, uh, that he's Lord and Savior and died on the crew cross of Calvary for our sins, but in the whole Bible, you're going to confess God. You know, I believe God exists. I believe God is real. It doesn't matter what the world says. I believe that God is real. And then in the New Testament, we are commanded to be baptized for the mission of our sins. But it's consistent from the Old into the New Testament. And it's important that you, you help people understand that as you're putting the pieces of the puzzle together, it's a really big puzzle. Sometimes when we're teaching the plan of salvation, we just use the little teeny puzzle. But the puzzle's huge. Right? You start putting it together because only, uh, because people can't handle the whole thing and digest the whole thing, but over time we will and we can. The, the next one is, um, I think when you read through the Bible, it should be systematic. You know, I think you should systematically read through the scriptures because it, it really helps. You know, um, first read the chapter and then, and then study the verse. Don't study the verse outside of the chapter. Right? That's, that's what we, in, in school, we learn not to proof text. That's when you grab a verse and you surround everything that you want to say around that verse. But then you forget the whole context. Right? So don't, when you, when you do it, do it systematically, not, not just from a particular verse. Make sure you understand the surroundings of that verse before you just throw that scripture in to your, your, your teaching, if you will. Because then you'll get, sometimes we'll get ourselves into a bit of trouble. Uh, and then, Remember that if you, if, you, if you look too closely at a tree, you, you might not even realize you're in a forest, right? So, so you, when you look at the Bible in the beginning, you want to step back, and I want you to see the big picture first, right? God wants us to see the big picture first, and then he adds all the details to it as we grow in our faith. And so I, I like to explain it like, like this. When you look at a mountain, uh, you begin to... You see the mountain, you say, I want to know more about that mountain. So you may, you may take a schematic of it and you, you look at it. You begin to approach the mountain and you'll notice things as you approach the mountain. You'll notice that, um, you know, there's, obviously there's dirt and there are some rocks and there are some trees and some shrub and grass and you continue to go up the mountain and you get to the top of the mountain and then you realize, oh, it's not a mountain at all. It's actually a volcano. And you go, oh. Well, you learn some more information. You get to the top. Then you come back down, and you will observe things. Then you go back up the mountain the second time. And then you know it's, it's, it's not just a mountain. We know it's a volcano. So now as you look at the rocks, you notice, wait a minute, here is lava rock here, not just ordinary rock. And then there are other things about this volcano that's so unique and so different. Certain animals are here that I didn't see the first time, and insects, and et cetera, et cetera. And you get to the top, and, and, and you come back down. and you, That's how you read the Bible, Right? Look at it like you're approaching a mountain, and you want God to move that mountain for you. Uh, and so he'll give more to you as you grow in, uh, in your faith. So, I'm going to turn to Philippians chapter 3. To grow in, in Christ, 
we must have uh, so remember I mentioned last week some qualifiers right you got to prepare your heart to prepare your heart is critical to understanding the scripture God says don't cast a pearl before the swine so God is not going to give us something we're not ready for there are passages in the scriptures that um, you, you, you wouldn't teach young folks I mean if you have wisdom and, and I know you do you wouldn't tell young folks certain things in the Bible because if they got it too soon, they would trample you on the foot with it. Just got to hold on to some things. Uh, and that's critical. I remember when I uh, first uh, said that in a, in a class, <laughs> after the class, the young folks said, well, what is that? What passage is that? I said, were you not listening to the Bible class? <laughs> Why would I tell you? <laughs> right? Uh, but really, I'm being honest and I'm being, I'm being true and straight. There are certain things you have to hold back because people aren't ready for it yet. Now, not that I'm being a judge. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is we have to use wisdom as we share things with people. Sometimes in the Scripture, there are certain things in the Scripture that certain people in certain situations aren't ready to hear. So you kind of hold it back. We know that in regular life, don't we? There are sometimes that, well, I really want to, like the wives, you know, wives will say, well, I really want to talk to my husband about something, but it's not time yet. You, know, you wait for that right time, and then you uh, bring it to him. Same thing with the Word of God. God is not going to give us something if we're not ready for it. But first, got to prepare your heart. Look at verse, verse 10. Paul speaking about finding Jesus. And then verse 10, that I may know him, desire. He had the desire to know Jesus. Hey, well, doesn't Paul know Jesus yet? Well, listen to what he's saying. I want to know him. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. Well, that's a study within itself, isn't it? I mean, Jesus, when, when, when everything happened and Jesus died, the Bible doesn't tell us how many people came out of the graves. It just tells us that people came out of the graves. That, that's a... That's a Imagine that scene with me, right? Imagine that, you know, whether they came out, whether they went back into the city, uh, when he went back in or, or whatever, because it's kind of a confusing text. But when he died, right, and the, and the earth shook and the rocks, folks, folks got out of the grave. And I, you ever wonder what they said to the people? <laughs> I mean, you know, you look and you go, well, now I know you, you should... You know, it'd be hard to hold a conversation in the beginning because who's going to talk to you? You're supposed to be dead. But you, you see, that's a phenomenon. That was that was an amazing um, beginning to the the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to know the power of how did God make that dead man get up? Well, in the Old Testament, He did it, didn't He? Right. So here's a depth of knowledge. Now you know God can do it. Now you got to see it. Here, Jesus has done it. The question is, do we believe it? I want to know the power of that, though. Tell me more about that. So here, Paul is saying, I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his... Do you want to know that one? The fellowship of his sufferings. Fellowship? That means to suffer with him. How many of us want to know that? No. No, no, I don't want to be inconvenienced, Lord. I, I don't want to know that. Okay, so then there's that, God says, well, you're not ready for this yet. So God has set that aside and said, okay, if you're not ready for this one, I've got to hold this part back. I can give you this stuff, but I can't give you that part yet. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. And I want to be conformed 
to his death. I'm ready to die with Jesus. And this was in a day when they were dying for Jesus, physically, right? So you've got to prepare your heart, right? Are you ready to die? So we die, don't we? As, uh, as Christians, we know that we, we don't live for the world. We live for Jesus. Am I ready to live and sacrifice my life truly for Jesus Christ? Well, I was just talking about this next level of understanding of the Scriptures. How far are you willing to take me, God? And God says, as far as you want to go. Look at 1 John uh, chapter 1. The heart must be prepared for God to open it up. Opening the floodgates to give you the depth of knowledge that you need to keep your faith strong and to uh, help through His grace and mercy to ensure your salvation. Ready for it? Verse 3. John's talking about Jesus. What we have seen... And heard, we proclaim to you also that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So, the fellowship of suffering and the fellowship of godliness. Right? God, sanctification to be set apart. Totally different from the world. How many of us like that? You know, as Christians, Christians complain and say, well, I just, I don't have anyone to hang out with. Are you ready for that? I mean, because if you're not going to go convert them, your friends, maybe you won't have anyone to hang out with. Or, are you willing to just just hang out with the brethren? (laughs) Or is that not good enough yet? Right? I want to know this. God, put me in the right frame of mind so that I can, I can get... I want all of you, Jesus. I don't want the, the part-time Jesus or just a little bit of Jesus. I want it all, right? Do you? Remember the song, Mama, don't let your children grow up to be preachers. Because you know what's going to happen. Second Peter, chapter 3. What a, what a, am I willing to make the sacrifice to grow? Verse 18, it says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So grace starts where? It starts at the cross. And then God says, okay, the grace starts at the cross. It flows backwards and forwards. But now we're alive, right? So now we've come to Christ, we've submitted to Him in the waters of baptism, and now that grace begins. Now you get to decide how, how much of it you get, because it says grow in it, right? So you could be a Christian who just, you got baptized and you walked away. Remember Jesus gave us the analogy in Matthew 13, you know, the thorny places, the rocky places, right? You can decide where you want to be. How much grace do you think you need? I'm, I need a lot. So that means I got to keep going in the growth section, and if I'm going in the growth section, then that's the, the beauty of being a child of God, that God opens things up and helps me to see life in a different perspective, from a different vantage point. And that makes a big difference in my life. God has to come or become in our lives the one who is no longer second or third or fourth or fifth, 
God has to come before everyone and everything in your life. So think about God. You say, God, please give me more knowledge of your word. And then, but, I, but Lord, I, only on Sunday and Wednesday. <laughs> no, he, he wants you to want it every single day. You, know, you might, you might wonder, you know, Tony, you, you said this class is on how to study and understand the Word of God. Well, this, that's exactly what this class is on. And we're going to get into all the nuts and bolts and all the, that great stuff in studying. But if your heart isn't ready, you know, we gotta, gotta do some, some work first, right? We gotta get rid of some of the rusty things. And it's beautiful for me to get rid of all the rust and chip it away so that we can get to the point of the heart, which is really what's important. Turn back to Psalm, please. Psalm 119. Remember this important fact. As we begin to um, as we get to the point where we're going to start learning deeper how to study God's Word and how to understand God's Word, as you're studying God's Word, I want you to remember a very important fact. And that is, when you're reading the Word of God, you don't read it like this. You don't say, uh, okay, well, oh boy, yeah. Ah, that's, yeah, that's James. Hmm. Well, I sure hope God blesses him. You don't do that, right? We don't do that. You remember when you read the Word of God and you open it up, God is talking to you. <laughs> so some of the verses are kind of scary when God starts talking to me because guess what? God knows everything about me. So when I read a passage, you know, it's easy to start. Oh, I'm going to teach a Bible, I'm going to teach a lesson. Uh, and I'm going to teach, and I may teach a lesson sometimes and not even see. Have you ever, have you ever, like, maybe this is a judgmental question, but it's, but it's true. You ever seen someone or heard someone teach a lesson and they're doing the very things they're reading to you about and, and telling you not to do it? And you go, well, well wait a minute, you just did that yesterday. <laughs> you go, well, obviously he didn't hear what God said to him. So, God is speaking to me through his word. What makes it audible is, I'm, re- I'm listening to myself read it. Right? God is speaking to me through his word. So listen to what he says. My soul cleaves, verse 25. My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to thy word. I have told of my ways, and thou hast answered me. Teach me thy statutes. Make me understand the way of thy precepts, so I will meditate on thy wonders my soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to thy word. My soul, wait, when God starts teaching you, it starts pricking you. Isn't that God's intention? God's intention is to save us. And, and in order to save us, uh, that means through the blood of Jesus, repentance is necessary. And that means God has something to say to me. I remember when I first started studying the Bible, the very first time, one of the, well, before I studied, one of the reasons I didn't want to study was because I knew God had something to say to me, and it wasn't going to be good, right? And so when you read the Bible, you, you're asking God in your prayer, open up my heart to receive your word. We did this last week. To receive your word, I know it's going to say something about me, because you're trying to save me, because I'm not perfect, but you have to prepare your heart to receive that word and allow God to comfort you, but at the same time to correct me, right? Um, look down at verse, uh, verse 50. Verse 50 says, This is my comfort in my affliction that thy word has revived me. And that is the blessing of it all, 
right? As I go through life and I struggle, I know that God is there to comfort me, to correct me, the Word of God, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, right? To comfort me, to correct me, but then it will revive me, right? Yeah, have you ever had the conversation? Well, and the conversation goes something like this, you know, I can't believe they're doing this to me. And then Jesus would ask, well, um, he who has no sins, throw the first stone. And then it might go something like this. Well, have you ever done anything like that before? And it may go even further. He might ask, well, um, Tony, while you're mad at everybody else for all the things they're doing to you, did you have something to do with that? Well, no. <laughs> right? It's always the obvious answer. God is trying to talk to me. Verse 70. Verse 72. Thy law, the law of thy mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Perspective. How valuable is the word of God to you? All this is just preparing our hearts, right? How valuable is the word of God to you? When I hear it, when I meditate on it, to think about it, right? How valuable is it to me? Am I just regurgitating what everybody else said? Or is there value and substance to what uh, what I'm reading and, and what God is, is saying to me. Verse 89, the message of God came from where? It came from heaven. Uh, verse 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The Bible, the words that God is going to give to me have come from heaven for me and to me. Verse 90, thy faithfulness continues throughout all generations. Thou didst establish the earth and it stands. And so God is faithful. When I say, Lord, please help me to be saved, what do you think that means? Does that mean, dear God, please help me to be saved, but then I continue to live the way I'm living? Or, dear God, help me to be saved, and so God gives me then his word that shows me what I have to change in my life to align my life with Jesus. Well, that's what it means. Because God's word is a light, right? Psalm 105, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's, it's guidance. God is going to guide me through, right, from my own ways and, 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 and things I'm struggling with. God is going to guide me through to truth. And then finally out of Psalm 119, verse 130, uh, the Bible says, The unfolding of thy words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple unfolding. Isn't that beautiful? God's Word just unfolds to me. It's like that verse, you know, you're reading it, you've read it a thousand times. I think Danny said this last week, you've read it a hundred times. And then all of a sudden, one day you read it and you go, what? Where'd that come from, right? Because God unfolded it. You know, He revealed it to you. What an amazing, amazing thing. I got a call from um, a friend, Jeff, in, in Christ. He says, you know, Tony, yeah, I've read this. I read. He was so excited about what he saw. He said, "No, no, no, you don't get it." I, I mean, I read this a thousand times, but I found this scripture, and here's what it said. And he just kept going, "Oh, no, no!" He's so excited. It was so exciting to hear his excitement. And God opened up something for him that uh, he hadn't seen before. Not that he hadn't read it before; he hadn't had his heart ready to receive it before. But at this point in his life. His heart was open, and then it just, it just opened up to him. It was beautiful. So uh, it's so exciting. So we'll come back to Proverbs. Um, I think we're going to run out of time. The bell's going to ring here in just a minute. I, 
Preacher, would you please just get to the part of how to study and understand? Not yet. We're getting there. Let's get our hearts right. Let's make sure that when we come to this class, we, we, are, just, we are just set and we are, and we are ready and, and we're hungry and we're, in Matthew chapter 5, we are hungering and thirsting for the Word of God. You say, Preacher, I'm already hungering and thirsting. I know you are. I know, but we got to, I want to say salivate a little bit. <laughs> salivate it. It's beautiful. There's nothing like studying uh, the Bible, the Word of God. So remember, God has something to say to you. God has something to say to me. Tonight, we're going to have an invitation in just a moment, uh, inviting you to surrender to Christ. If you've not surrendered to Christ, if you're struggling in your faith, um, uh, the invitation will be there for you to uh, come and ask for prayers. We'll pray for you uh, in your behalf. And perhaps you've already contacted us with prayer requests uh, for tonight. Uh, we'll pray for you. pray with you. Uh, thank you for your time tonight. Really appreciate it. God bless you, each one of you.